0: This podcast is for grown-ups only. Some of the content may not be appropriate for little ears like mine. I got down on my knees, man, and like, repented. Gave my life to the Lord. That whole run turned into uh, me almost taking my own life. I think part of the problem is is that police have been neutered.
1: Welcome to Diagonals Cops Calling. I'm your host Anthony Weaver, and very shortly we'll have part two of my conversation with Al, as he continues to discuss his life uh, in the motorcycle club arena and and the criminal aspects of his life and how he got out of that lifestyle. Uh, and turned his life around and became a Christian. Quickly, before we get into that conversation, I wanted to remind you about the Diakonos at Cops Calling Facebook page. Please check it out and follow it. And the reason you want to follow that is because I put out weekly trailers for upcoming episodes. I put out other uh, blog articles and, and things that would be of interest to you. And you may be missing it if you're not following the page. So please check that out. You can also follow me on Twitter at mtonyw. If your podcast host allows you to, don't forget to give me your honest five-star rating and write a review. That would be helpful for me to uh, get seen and pushed out there a little further to other people. And don't forget to share me with friends and family. I appreciate that. Also, It goes without saying that this podcast would not exist uh, if it weren't for those who've agreed to sit down with me over the past 10 weeks. This simple thanks and acknowledgement is not nearly enough, but I wanted all of them to know how much I appreciate them and all those uh, that are going to appear on the podcast that I appreciate them also. All of them could have easily said no to me, but all of them have said yes, and they continue to say yes. Even when there are those who hate me, hate what I have to say, and hate my guests on the show because of what they do or because they share their stories and their perspectives. They don't need to risk the aggravation. They really don't, but they did. And new guests continue to do so. And I, for one, appreciate it a lot. So I personally wanted to thank Detective Lowe, Chief Berkeyheiser, Detective Hockley, Detective Miller. Lieutenant Stoltzfus, and finally Al, all of which who have all of which have come on the show uh, so far, and there's going to be many more uh, that do give me a yes, and I thank them in advance. And just a quick note on Al: uh, we haven't protected his identity for drama's sake, uh, but because there are those who actually would do him harm if given the opportunity. So if you do happen to know him uh, and recognize his voice, don't share his identity with those that don't know him Uh, do him that favor do me that favor and I'd appreciate that okay let's jump into part two of my conversation with Al
0: Uh, so he opened a shop I go up I'm like hey you know CC look man I'm here there's nothing in PA for me you know I'm just gonna come here come on man you can just live at mom's house with me that's what I did and uh, we decided that we were going to start a club. And so we did. Called the Rogue Animals. Okay. And uh, we, uh, we ended up, uh, I think at the, at the max, we had 35 or 7 members. And we ruled Sheepshead Bay and Bayonne and East Brooklyn with an iron fist.
1: Now, yeah. what years would have this been?
0: This would have been 84, 83, the end of 83, 84, those years in the okay. mid-80s. Uh, we ruled that area with an iron fist, man.
2: And so what, not, type,
1: what types of things were you doing?
2: Uh, well, let's see. Gun trafficking,
0: cocaine. This is about when the crack started coming around. Yeah um we were delving into that we were cooking uh of course i had learned how to make crank which you know they call it you know speed meth today but it's methamphetamine we used to make bathtub crank man okay it's one of the filthiest drugs you could ever do we used to we used to put it in literally we called it bathtub crank because we would get these old cast iron Porcelain tubs, and we would make it in that. And we we're washing it with diesel fuel and all kind of stuff. And then you know to think the insanity that I was injecting that stuff, snorting it. So you were it.
1: you were using it then too? Oh,
0: absolutely, dude. Yeah, we we'd make crank, and we were selling it, we're doing it. I mean, there'd be we'd go on rips man. We'd go on runs. I'd I'd be awake for three, four, or five days, man. Literally, you just shoot another shot, snort another line, whatever, whatever you needed to do, and. uh but along with that, and you know, as a police officer, you've dealt with tweakers and people on crank, right? Yeah. On speed. Yeah. Uh, after they're awake for a while, they can get pretty violent. They can get pretty nuts. Yeah. Well, we were ruling that area pretty pretty ardently. And um, one day we were at the clubhouse on the east side, and uh, we hear all these Harleys roll up. Like uh, those aren't our bikes. You, you just know. When you ride with a group of guys, you just know. Know
1: the sound. Yeah. yeah.
2: Those aren't our bikes.
0: Clubhouse door open, and then walked a bunch of 81s. Uh, you know who they are. I know who they are. Yeah. Walked in, and we're like, yo, what the, you know, disrespect the man just walking in here. I, I mean, we didn't care, man. We didn't care. We had a bunch of former vets, and you know, we had some guys that had been in Nam. We, I mean, we were pretty crazy, man. Right. And uh, I was sergeant at arms at the time. You know what that means, you know. And uh, if for all you out in the world that don't know, you can go look that up on the internet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, so they were like, um, you know, you guys need to come up
2: up to our clubhouse. We need to talk. I'm looking at my bro, and I'm like, CC, like, who the
0: F these guys think they are, man? We didn't care. Right. We just did not care. And like, you have 24 hours to get over there, and we need to talk. So president, CC, myself, another guy, rolled up there to their clubhouse and uh, went in. They basically told us we had 24 hours to shut down our club. Well, that didn't bode well very well with me or with CC. And uh, they were like, no, you guys are bringing way too much negative attention to, to the MC world. I mean, dude, we, I'm telling you, man, we had all former bets. We, we were pretty nuts, man. Right. And uh, they're like, you have 24 hours to collect all your cuts and bring them.
2: And you're done. And you know me, Anthony. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing
1: that didn't happen.
2: Uh, I'm pretty much like, uh, right.
0: you know, screw you. So we roll out. We go back down the east side. And uh, CC's like, look, man, we are way outnumbered. I mean, they have a compound in New York. Okay. Right? We are way outnumbered, way
2: outgunned. You know, we just need to fold. I'm like, bro, are you serious, man? Like, I.
0: so we took a, you know, we went to the club members and said, hey, and I said, okay. So uh, we went in there and they wanted us. You have to understand the motorcycle, that world, right? Um, When you take someone's cuts, man, the respect for that, I mean, that is like, that is like, that's the holy grail, man. Right. You know, you don't disrespect them. You fold them up, them, and uh, they they wanted us to turn all of them inside
2: out and bring them into their clubhouse. And I was like, ain't happening. I wore mine in. So did CC. And they were like, really? I'm like, look, it, you know, bad enough, you, you
0: told us we had to shut our club down. Right? Right. You're not going to disrespect my cuts, man. You're just not going to do that. And I don't care. I don't care who you are. So long and short of it is they offered um, myself and CC
2: to patch in with them. No prospecting, no anything. You just patch right in. Okay. And I was like, I'm out. Screw you. So CC said
0: he ended up deciding he patched in with them, and he ended up going to California out there. I I have pictures of him with the international president of that particular club. And um, he ended up spending six years in uh, penitentiary out there for attempted homicide. Okay, And uh, I came back to PA, and I ended up with another club. And then I ended up spending a whole bunch of time
2: in jail.
1: This friend of yours that you keep talking about—um—you mm-hmm. are you still in contact with him? Oh,
2: absolutely! I see him every okay. year. Is is he's in Florida?
1: Is, is he a believer? Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm getting to that. Okay. So he ends up. I spend- wasn't sure if that was the. So same So he guy. ends up
0: spending six years, six and a half years for for an attempted homicide. I come back to PA. I get hooked up. I end up in and out of jail for drug charges, thefts, you know, whatever, intimidating, and all this other
2: stuff. Um, so I didn't know this then, but so I did my last
0: bit and I'm in the penitentiary and I'm doing time. And there was a guy in there who I had done time with before. Um, yeah, you know, I'd done strong arm robberies with him and other things, and he, uh, there was something, you know, when when I rolled in on the on the tear, he came up, and I'm not going to use my street name because people would know that, and uh, he's like, hey, mm, you know what's going on, and I'm like, what's up, and he's like, hey man, I really need to talk to you about Jesus. Now. You have to understand that this guy was about 6'1", probably 270,
2: large. Like, he's the kind of guy, like, you know, punch you and break your face, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, uh, and I remember shoving my hand into his face, almost into his nose, and I'm like, man, get that away from me with all that. Religion, man. I said, dude, I've I done time with you before. i watched you do the whole kufki, the Ramadan, you know, all that stuff. I said, man, get away from me with that stuff, man. All right, we're cool. We're cool. And I watched him, man, for probably close to six months. And dude, he was preaching the gospel, bro. People were getting saved, man. I mean, people were bending their knees, man. Right. And I remember I was rolling down the tier one day and his cell was cracked open he said, he said, yo, man, let me break this off to you. And I remember standing in his cell, the door of his cell. And uh, I said, what's up, man? He said, he said, look, brother, I, I just really need to talk to you about Jesus Christ. And I, I like about had an embolism, man. Like, I, was, you know, I was like, you know what, dude, you got five minutes to get this f- uh, uh, off about this Jesus thing. And I don't ever want to hear it again.
1: Now, why? What what made you watch him? Why did you watch him? He was
0: different, bro. Okay. Dude, this is a guy who, like, we did time before we used to run commissary together. Okay. Like, like he was assailing people in the showers, man, because, like, you know, if you know anything about being in prison, man, you are in commissary two for one, three for five, you know, whatever, right? And uh, And he was just different, man. Different. Like, this was a guy that used to run the tier, right? Okay. Like
1: you, when you, And when you say the tear, you're talking about... Tear in a prison. In the prison. With the, yeah. Right. I, I just want Yeah, you run the tear. Right.
0: Like, this was a guy, like, you just didn't mess with. Right. And, uh, you know, we used to do stuff together in prison, and he was... It was just different, bro. He was different. And I, you know... And he knew me well enough to know that... Like, I, I was no joke. Like, okay, right. he probably stomped me, but you know what? He was gonna have a handful. And we ran on the streets together. And... uh <laughs> people were getting saved, man. The dude was preaching legitimate gospel, bro. It wasn't any kind of hybrid. He was preaching like, you know, faith alone and Christ alone plus nothing. Right. Grace alone, faith alone and Christ alone plus nothing. No works. Not, like, and Like people were getting saved. And I remember I was rolling down and he said, hey, I want to talk to you. And I had my little freak out with him. And I said, you got five minutes to get this effing Jesus stuff off your back, man. I don't ever want to hear it again. And I will never forget it, Anthony. He had his Bible. And he turned his Bible around. He was sitting on his rack. And he leaned off the corner of his rack. And he kind of like held his Bible up towards me. And uh, he said, can, can you read what that says where it's marked there? I was like, are you out of your freaking mind, man? He's like, hey, man, you, you just you know, indulge your brother. You told me I have five minutes, man. Can you just indulge me? I'm like, whatever. I, I had an attitude, for, I was like, whatever. Yeah. And so he had the Romans Road, man, marked. Uh, for those of you out there who don't know what that is, that is the gospel presentation through the book of Romans. And um so he had me read one for all sin falls short of
2: glory to God. You know, da da da
0: and until I got
2: to the end of reading what he had had me had me read, um, the Holy Spirit had started a,
0: a regeneration in my heart, man. Mm-hmm. Because unless God's salvation begins and ends with God, right, and unless God starts a regeneration in your heart, you can't even respond to the gospel, right? You know, the Corinthians tells us that you know for you know the things of God are of spiritual nature, and that natural man can't even understand. It's foolishness to them, right? And uh, the Spirit of God, man started regeneration, and I just was convicted, man. Not guilt, not remorse, just convicted about my life, man, about, about the literally hundreds of people that I had hurt and offended and the things I had done to my family. And I bent my knee, man. Mm-hmm. I bent my In knee. In that day. moment? Oh, yeah, right then, right there. Okay. Right on the tear. I got down on my knees, man, and, like, repented. Gave my life to the Lord. Okay. Finished my bit, was doing Bible studies, all that. I'd like to say that that was the, as Paul Hard, we would say <laughs> that was the rest of the story.
1: Now, how long, I don't, maybe you said this and maybe I missed it. What were you in prison for at that point?
0: I was in prison at that point for a parole violation, <laughs> parole violation and for drugs. Violation controlled substance. And what know. was the parole violation for? The parole violation was from pre. Yeah. Previ- yeah.
1: What was the previous charge? The previous
0: charges for? were theft. Uh, I had an assault. I had a. Uh, there there were a couple of other things in there, you know, drinking violation. Okay. Yeah. Intimidating a witness. That was one of them. Okay. Uh, I and ripped, then, it, ripped and the then... car door off a guy's car and then he wouldn't testify against me.
1: I could literally have you on for the next, like, 10 episodes, probably. But cause... anyway,
0: so so the long and short of it is, is I finished out my bit. And uh, I'd like to say, as Paul Harvey would say, that, you know, the rest of the story, that that was the end of the story. But uh, I got out. I never got connected with the church. Never... a church. Never huge problem. Oh. That's yes. a whole nother, like... That's a whole nother episode. Right. But anyway, didn't get connected. Uh, one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 1, right? Says, do not, right? Says, do not walk, stand, or sit in the council of the wicked, the ungodly, and mockers. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite because it's a story of my life, man. Uh, you know, I got out, didn't get connected. It wasn't too long before I started like walking around, you know, the old hoods and, yeah. you know, oh, no, 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 man, I'm doing something different today. I'm doing Jesus, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I remember the first time I got out, a guy came up and put a 38 in my hand. Yo, bro, it's good to see you back, man. And shook my hand and put a thirty-eight in my hand. Mm-hmm. Like, yo, dude, you out of your mind? <laughs> Are you crazy? Right? So I'm not doing that. And then next thing you know, I'm around the neighborhood, and they're standing on the stoop smoking blunts, and, and uh, you know, ah, I'm good. Next thing I know, I'm sitting in a shooting gallery, mm-hmm. smoking crack, shooting meth. And
2: I remember I had a moment of lucidness, man. Could only have only been from God, right? How the heck did I get here? How did, how did I get here? Right. Really? And, uh, yeah, so that whole run turned into uh, me
0: almost taking my own life. Uh, I was laying at Sears Auto Center at Park City with a loaded 9mm, uh, ready to put a bullet in my own head. I'd uh, been on a run, hadn't slept in 12 or 13 days, was delirious, uh, hallucinating, hearing things. Uh. But for the grace of God, brother, and for the grace of God of my wife, who actually found me. I hadn't talked to her in 12 days,
2: and she found me.
1: I think uh, you've shared this story with me. It's It's incredible because she... At the at was she were you guys married at that point? No. You were just like kind of together dating, yes. that sort of thing. And she was she over knew, an hour away, and she knew, she was trying to find you. She had been praying. She had been praying, trying to find you. Yeah, I married a very a
0: very godly Christian woman, you know, which is just a whole other story, man. <laughs> how that even happened, right? But uh, she had been praying, uh, you know, and and, and somehow
1: uh, she found well, you. There. She
0: just. Said that she felt the Holy Spirit, telling her she needed to get in her car and drive to Lancaster. Okay. And uh, when she got got down off two eighty three and thirty, felt the Lord telling her to go to Park City.
1: That's inc- it's, uh, it's it's incredible. Miracle. It's a miracle. Gives me when goosebumps. I,
0: when I when I go into prison and preach, man, I share that story because I right. tell, I tell people that. Um, if you don't believe in miracles, you're looking at one. And I share that story, and guys are, like, amazed. And I'm like, you know, God God is in the business of redemption, man. Right. And, uh, you know, so after that whole ordeal, I went to treatment, uh, went to Roxbury, got out. Um,
1: What's Roxbury? It's a treatment facility. Okay.
0: Um, a drug, drug rehab. And uh, started really questioning my salvation uh wasn't sure if i really had ever made a true commitment i believe i had um but i rededicated my life to christ and uh my mother they weren't my mother and father-in-law then but my mother and father-in-law's living room and uh i've never looked back man yeah ended up at penn state with a dual degree in business uh got out had a job working for well, I had a job working somewhere that I should have never had a job given my criminal history. Um, did that for, I don't know, almost 10 years. And then uh, by no fault of my own, but really by the hand of God, God called me away from doing human resource work. I should have never had that that job, Anthony, right. with my criminal history, FBI file. Just, there is no way. And I got hired right out of Penn State. Of course, maybe because I was an overachiever, I graduated over a 4.0 grade average. <laughs> of course you dead. did. <laughs> uh, well, you know, you have to understand, I was late in life. You know, all these kids are going to Penn State, and you're like, yeah, party! Like I'm like, you know, and this is back when, like, group stuff, like, all your classes were like group things. I'm like, yo, I'm paying for this education. My parents aren't paying for it, and you are not going to get a grade on my coattails. I'm telling Right.
1: <laughs> so were you like on campus then? Uh yeah. The, I mean, I was the,
0: commuting. I didn't live on campus. I was commuting. This was uh, Penn State. Uh it started out at Penn State Harrisburg. Okay. Which is now a four-year college, but right. um yeah, dude, like these these guys thought that I'm like no you're so gonna, you So you would
1: have been how old then?
0: In my late
1: 30s. And you are thought, oh my word. I don't, yeah, I'm dude, man. I'm
0: going to college with like like kids that are 17, 18 years old and their parents are paying for it and it's all this group thing and I'm like, "No, you're going to do the work. You're not getting a grade on, on my hard work." I right. mean, look, dude, I'm trying to change my life. Right. Like literally change my life at, you know, 35 years, 36 years old. Right. And uh and I was paying for it. All right? right? And so, you know, no, I'm telling. Yeah. I'm not snitching, I'm straight up telling. <laughs> So I did all that, got a dual degree, got hired right out of college, should have never had the job I had. And then the Lord clearly called me away from that. There were a bunch of top positions where I was working that were eliminated and, uh, you know, for no good reason. I mean, I always had exceeds expectations, you know, all that. And uh, some of those guys sued and I just didn't feel was right. I talked to my pastor at that time and just like, no, nah, you know what? God has a purpose for this. Um, so that's how I ended up getting in dealing with the homeless. Um, but interim between that, uh, I was actually manager of a of a training school, uh, and they didn't think I was a good fit because I got called an ethical freak by my boss.
1: An ethical freak? Yeah. Who, uh, what who does my that boss, even mean?
0: Who my boss? Who was a former pastor. And you know, like Peter, I stuck my big foot in my mouth. I said, "Well, you know, being a former pastor, you should be nothing short of an ethical freak." Or hence the former part of pastor.
1: <laughs> what honestly, like, what does that even mean? An ethical uh, because freak?
0: because I had uncovered. Hey, listen. Once you're trained as a, as a as an analyst, you never stop analyzing. It's it it is a blessing and a curse. Like I analyze everything.
1: Yeah, it, I agree. You analyze me, which is. A problem sometimes. well no, no, it's not, it's a, not problem, a
0: problem, dude. It's a, it's a good thing. I hope you grow in the Lord, brother. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. I'm I'm totally messed up. <laughs> but
0: once you're an analyst, you never stop. And right. So like I was in this job, and like you know, I realized that I don't know, probably about thirty or forty days in, that you know, a lot of stuff that was done in the position before me had violated a whole bunch of state and federal regulations and so i went to my boss and said hey here's the problem here's turnaround here's here's the fix here's the turnaround it's gonna take this long and that man leaned up across the desk and said what are you some kind of ethical freak and i was like you know and my wife said to me well you know if they get audited right you're the last person in the position they don't care who was there before you so that whole thing was an interim thing because I had had a job that was taken off the table working with homeless. So I was scrambling, I got this job and I was making even more money than I was making before. But you know, I I uh I had made a covenant with the Lord that I was never going to let money take my eyes off the Lord again, man. Cuz you know, after you spend all those years living like I lived, you know, not really ever having any jobs and never really having benefits. You chase the golden egg, man. You like you're chasing the benefits, of retirement, all that, and really just kind of in those years took my eyes off the Lord, man. And I said, I'm never going to let that. And I was making even more money at that job. And they said, Oh, you're not a good fit. And there's a whole side story with that, but um. And then the job that was taken off the table, I was called back and said, hey, we have the funds for this. Would you be willing to come? I'm like, yes. They said, would you be willing to go back to college? And I'm like, dude, I'm in my, I'm in my late you know, 40s at this point, you know, or I'm in my, yeah, probably early 40s, 44. Okay. okay. Would you be willing to go back to college and get a, get a degree in counseling and Bible? Sure. <laughs> you know, like I thought about it for sure I will. And uh so I did that. I went back as a non traditional student to Lancaster Bible College and uh I got another degree. Okay. Uh, in counseling and bible and uh then I worked with the homeless for the last
1: uh almost uh seventeen years. So do you have your masters or I have the equivalent. Okay. You've been going yeah. you've gone to school long enough to Yes. Okay.
0: And life enough life experience life so, experience
1: yeah
0: uh yeah, so uh it's uh it's an interesting thing, so yeah, then I worked with the homeless uh you know coming out of prison addiction abuse p t s d vets uh did that for sixteen years, right, uh a little more than sixteen, but uh yeah, and then I just retired last october um from that uh, it was time, yeah. And now I'm in a whole nother setting where I'm dealing with vets. Like where I live, there are like two thousand vets.
1: Right. Man. You and were telling me this. It's just crazy, dude. And you you've made contact with some of them and But listen, you It's know, like a whole nother thing. Yeah. Like, the Lord the, Lord, the Lord, man,
0: Lord. You know, you avail yourself and he redeems the years, man. He really does. He that the locusts the years. have taken. Yes. Well, we being the locusts. Right. <laughs> um, so uh yeah. So, anyway, so I think I covered a lot of what you wanted to talk about, but there were some well, stuff that you wanted to know about, like, my interactions with law enforcement well, in my prior I, uh, life.
1: Man, I, t- I tell you what, like, we could honestly talk for six hours. Oh, yeah. I know. There are so many questions that <laughs> I have. And, and, and. I probably talk too much. No, 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 not at all. Just, just the, uh, just to how well I know you and the things we've talked about before. You know, there's so many stories that you've told me and, and things you've told me that are just incredible uh, that, we, that we could get into. But yeah, I, I think for for me, you know, I asked you some specific questions. I think one of the the burning questions I had is when it comes to Someone who lived your lifestyle, um, who's now at the point that you're at, who now has a relationship with Jesus, uh, who, by the grace of God, was able to turn their life around. Your perspective on law enforcement when you were in that lifestyle, your perspective on law enforcement now, how has it changed? Like, where...
0: (laughs) Well, when I was living that life, you know, cops were to not be trusted. Um, They were to be violated
2: whenever the opportunity presented itself that you wouldn't get caught for. Um, I mean, there
0: there were even discussions at some points in several of the states that I had been in of, like, going and doing harm to them and their families because of various arrests that had happened to other members and things like that, Um, you know, regrettably, Mm -hmm. I I entertained some of those conversations in my life. Never acted on them, thank God. Um, But, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, uh, let's just say it. You know, even in that life, when I was living that life, I had met some
2: really decent police officers. Guys that weren't trying to break, you know, break your nads and, you know, like,
0: you know, what are you doing? Tried to talk to you. Like, really, is this how you want to live your life? And uh, fell on deaf ears. Right. You know, but, you know, and I, I know because I already talked to you about this before, but, you know, basically most of them were just jerks, man. I mean they were just jerks. I mean now, the way they interacted. But now that you, you and you asked a question, right? Um, how it's changed now. Um <laughs> listen, how it's changed now is is that I realize that like dealing with knuckleheads like me, you know, like it was understandable that you guys would act the way you would act. I mean, you know, or whatever, but you know, I have a I have a real uh, a real respect for what police officers do. Um, again, because you know when they deal with people like me, and look, let, let's just be honest, all right, Anthony. the 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 reality of it is, is that in our culture today, you know, we're talking thirty years ago, right? It was different. It was it was definitely different. I'm I'm not saying it was not as bad i mean there were still those elements but the culture has changed so much today you know back then you might want to roll with a cop right right? today they just want to shoot them Mm -hmm. i mean i'm just being candid like i see in the political environment that we're in and you know the um you know listen i i worked in harrisburg for a long time i used to work in allison hill area I mean, these guys today, man, they have no compunction about like shooting just shooting someone they they don't care cop fireman e m s they don't care, you know, and so you know I have a real respect, man, for what it is that you do because you know even for someone like me when I was living in that element, right, you were willing to put your life in danger to help me if I was in a situation where I wasn't being a knucklehead and you weren't trying to arrest me, but I was like in a life threatening situation. You were willing to put your life on the line. You know, I, I did not appreciate that at all in my past. I, I just didn't. And then, you know, in my life today, man, I mean, I know, you know, listen, there are a lot of good officers. And and when I say good, I don't mean just like morally good. There are a lot of police officers that do their job, they do it well, they have empathy, appropriate empathy. people and and um you know these guys are going out and putting their life on the line every day yeah and i don't think that people appreciate that i really don't i don't think that our society as a whole and i don't think especially those who are living in that element certainly have no respect for that um but my views has changed a lot listen even in lancaster when i was here you know, living that life. There were police officers, man, and I said, I alluded to this earlier, who were like, you know, dude, what are you doing? Like, you're better than this. Like, you know, you're not a dummy, man. You know, like, what are you doing? Who tried? They tried. But I was, you know, I have a pretty thick skull. And, uh, but yeah, I have an immeasurable amount of respect, uh, you know, and then of course, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this, but you know, like, guys like you and like Low. That guy, man, I love that guy, man. <laughs> he's, he's just, he's charged up, man, about life, you know, especially about Jesus. Amen. Amen. And uh, so, you know, like, I, I talked to you guys, and like, I guess because of the years that I spent working with PTSD and vets, and I know the emotional and psychological strain that that was on me for 16 years, I know. Because I've done my research, and I've talked to you, and I've talked to other police officers. The emotional and psychological stress, man, especially for a guy like you who like was on the street for twenty years, dude. Most officers flame out in eight or ten and go become detectives or whatever. They don't, but you know, like being on the street for for twenty years, man. That's like I don't even know how you dealt with that, dude. And so I have a tremendous amount of respect for that. I, I mean, I also kind of I identify with the you know the whole adrenaline thing too right. you know part of that we've talked about that but I have a real respect for that and you know listen you guys are you guys are trying to do what it is that you've made an oath you know before the state and before god to do and and so you know I don't know why it is that people want to you know they they want to be so detrimental, man, and like just negate and, and you know, besmirch police. Mm. I just don't get
1: it. I, th- I think, um, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you is, so back when you were living in that lifestyle, I feel like the police generally interacted with the criminal element differently than we're expected to interact when I say we today, I have to keep catching myself because I no longer do it. Right, it's a little bit of a pride thing. I <laughs> wish I could still do it. <laughs> my time has ended, but you ended well. The the thank you, the um, the way, and and this this was part of my part of my issue. In some ways, and I I talked to a guy today who's on the job who's a who's a dear friend of mine, and he said, you know, I feel like I should have been a cop, you know, a long time ago. And that's kind of how I felt because I feel like the expectations that are on police officers today um, are different than they were 20, 30 years ago. The way that officers interacted with the criminal element was different. And I think it's a wrong, wrong expectation. Um, I, I'm Listen. trying to put into words what I'm, what I'm saying here. I, th- I think that there's a level of, in that world, there is a level of brutality that a lot of people don't understand. Exactly, And I always felt like if, if I did what I needed to do, but I didn't. The, the biggest thing, when I first got on the job, the biggest thing was like, listen, do what you need to do. Don't call people names while you're doing it, because that's what really pisses people off.
0: And don't break the law.
1: And don't break the law. They under, like the, the people we dealt with understood, I'm, I'm doing this action. The police are going to do what they need to do. As long as you do it within the confines of the law and and don't strip someone's dignity away Mm -hmm. um there there was like there was like even an understanding like i i've had guys at the booking counter that i've been in knockdown drag out fights with and -hmm. they're like yo man i i get it i you know it's like hey you you got me this time even at the end of my career i had a guy (laughs) i i can't really say what he said to me but well i guess i could but he uh I dealt with him a long time in my career. He had gone to state prison, not on my charge. Uh, he was out on parole. Uh, this is like the last year I was on the job, me and uh, you know, a guy on my unit, we stop him. This is how terrible my memory is. I can't even remember all the details of the stop, but I knew that he was probably holding uh, based on his actions on the street and what. And, and what we could see and everything. So we take him into the police station and we have enough to, uh, to do a strip search on him. And, and I'm at the booking counter with him and I, I said to him, I'm like, yo man, listen, here's the deal. This is what we're going to do. You can, you can give it up now. Like just give it up now. Like do you got, you got, you got crack up underneath your nuts? Like th- this is the conversations we have. Mm-hmm. And uh, because that's where guys are oh, carrying yeah. it, up underneath I, their balls, I, you know? know? And so I, you know, I, am having this conversation where he's like, no, weave, no, weave, no, weave," um, and we get him back to the, uh, the cell where we, where we do the strip search. Let me just tell you if, if
0: <laughs> there are mental I'm, images I'm you so, don't ever want to have to see. I'm so glad <laughs> I don't ever have to do a strip search again, Lord willing.
1: <laughs> and, and we get him in there and, uh, he hits, we get him in there and we're like, all right, you know, you know, yeah, do this. the, the he, whole routine. He hits the he hits the hits the wall, and he's like, effing Weaver, you knew from the beginning, of course, yes." Yeah, and and, and he had a bunch of crack on him, and and uh, he he just pled. He's doing two, and a, he's going to do two and a half and five in state prison for the amount of crack on he had on him, and because he was on a mm-hmm. on a parole tail, and um, like he got it. Like we he we were actually joking about it. Like he he was almost crying because he knew. He knew Oh, yeah. He knew I, he I'm was going, going back to state. Oh, yeah. I'm going back to state. He's like effing Weaver, you got me." Um but he's, you know, there was like a mutual respect there mm-hmm. because I, I never called him names. I never, you know, I, I don't know. And now like people just they don't want cops to do their It's it's almost like they don't want us to do our job.
0: Well, I think part of the oh okay <laughs> you can get me in trouble i think part of the problem is is that police have been neutered
1: yeah I oh, i, I totally mean, agree. i too. mean
0: you know look without going down a whole nother road about the social justice movement and all that listen you take an oath, an oath to uphold the statutes and the laws as written by those who in authority right legislators congressmen senators right the government whatever state federal local right you take an oath why should you be penalized for doing that which you said you would do that you were charged to do under an oath before god and before man and so now this whole social justice movement is is that oh no 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 your integrity doesn't matter You made an oath, but you shouldn't keep that oath. So we're going to neuter you now so you can't do your job, right? What do you think that does to the police force, to the police officers? See, now my counselor hat's going on. I'm sorry. Um, What do you think that does to those who are charged to uphold the law?
1: I'll tell you what it does. Right, pisses them off. And it crushes them. Exactly. And it pisses them off. Yeah. Right.
0: It cru- but it, I, you're right. It crushes them first because now you have an internal conflict going on about, I made an oath. You know, it's about my own personal integrity, the veracity of my word, right? About what I said I am I, called because it is a calling. I, I believe that, yeah. you know, it's a calling. Not everybody's cut out to be a cop. It's a calling. And so now the veracity, the truth of what my word is before my oath has been completely stripped from me. And so the angst that that causes somebody inside, sure, you know, they're, they're going to have a chip on their shoulder. You know, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I, you know, I'm not making a judgment there. But you know, what do you expect when a guy you know, has made an oath and now you're telling him he can't fulfill that very, his word and his integrity? Because you want to neuter him because of whatever, Uh, you know, again, without going down that whole road. And so, yeah, I, I, you know, it's unfortunate, you know, this whole thing about, you know, rampant prejudice and all that. Listen, everybody has prejudice. Right. And this whole thing about racism. Look, I don't think that it's, you know, everywhere. Sure, there are cops that are prejudiced or racist or whatever you want to use, you know, who have a bias. Absolutely. That's anywhere you go in the country. That's anywhere you go in the world. Listen, I've been, I've been to other countries where police act with absolute prejudice and racism. We have no clue in this country. Trust me, we have no clue. I've been to some countries where you're a different ethnicity. I'm not saying that's right, I'm just saying it's it's a reality. Right. You know, and and so you know, to say it's systemic, I don't believe is true. I don't believe that. Um but you know, it's just you know, I think that it, you know, cops who want to do a good job are not afforded the opportunity to do that because of the political climate and because of the culture. Right. And and it's really unfortunate. Yeah. And that coming from a guy who used to be on the other side, who used to be like, you know, freaking cops, you know, right? Right. And so, you know, and again, it's because I've had men like you and like Lo and, you know, uh, my, my other friend from the state drug enforcement and some other police officers who have tried to speak into my life and who I've befriended and who, you know, really trying to understand, I you know, I don't think that a lot of people really understand what it entails. And I think that the reason I have a little different perspective is because of my interactions with and from the other side.
1: Right. And I think that's why, um I mean, I, I honestly, I think, you know, obviously, like, the fact that we're brothers in Christ is, is paramount in this conversation. But I think Outside of that, the ability for us to, for me to unload some stuff on you, and unload it in a way that is real, I'm not is real, and I'm not judged for it. Amen. And and for me to talk or tell other people that uh, there there would be genuine concern concern i <laughs> be that. like have you going to see a counselor lately? Uh, are you <laughs> you're like a little like not quite all there yeah you're right i'm not quite all there um, exactly but let me let me tell you why you know and and um just that i i think because you are on the other side and you know the types of things you were engaged in, the types of things you were capable of, the types of things you even talked about doing, mm-hmm. the types of things that happen with you and the police. There, there's an ability for you to understand um, kind of, okay, I can kind of understand why a cop might not be maybe the most well-adjusted or nice person I ever met hey, in my life.
0: Hey, we talked about this word earlier. I have some empathy about that. Yeah. No, really. Yeah. I, I Literally, I can... Empathy is putting oneself in someone else's shoes.
1: Right. And
0: because I was that guy... Right. right I have some empathy about that. I do understand. Right. You know, and, and I don't even... I mean, I say that sincerely. And, you know, you and I have had hours and hours of conversations, you know, about these kinds of things. And, um, yeah, I can empathize with that.
1: But just even the angst of you, know, you living in that lifestyle, and I think you said earlier it was like about 16 years that you were living in mm-hmm. that lifestyle, and the amount of stress that that is, because you, you, you never know what's coming around the corner.
0: There have been times, Anthony, in those years when I literally have looked down the barrel of a pistol And and see, uh, this would have to be another show where, you know, I'm, I'm 50 feet away and a guy pulls a trigger and the barrel's pointed right at me and it hits the guy next to me. And I think I'm so slick that I got away. You know, it's God's hand on me, literally, before I even knew him. Um, you know, I know what that, I, I know that angst and I understand that. And so, you know, it's, uh, it is very stressful. You know, people think it's just this carefree lifestyle that you are just running around acting like an idiot, you know, right. you know, doing what you do, but no, there, there is a lot of stress, um, a lot of expectation, just like with police officers, a lot of expectation, you know? And so you, you're living that and then, you know, you feel like, okay, is today the day? I'm going to go on a power run today with the club. You know, is today the day I die? Is today the day I have to step in front of a shotgun for my brother? Is today the day that someone's going to hit me in the back of the head with a pipe? I mean, literally. Right. You know, and, and so you, you know, I understand that, man. I do. Yeah.
1: yeah. And, and, and it's just a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't understand. Like, a lot of people don't understand. And again. And I've said this before: I don't want people to feel sorry for police officers. We, you know, people who have decided to become police officers, they've made a decision. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's what, they've, what they're going to do. Um, and I, I never want anyone to feel sorry for me, but I do, you know, there's something to be said, and it's hard to help people to understand, like those moments in my career where I was concerned enough. About my safety that when I left for work, Mm -hmm. I would just let it breathe a little bit. That's what we called it. Mm -hmm. We would throw the door open and just let it breathe a little bit Mm -hmm. because I knew that there was chatter on prison calls about me, and I knew the type of individuals I was interacting with on the street on a Mm -hmm. regular basis, and I knew that I was... Which
0: at any moment could have become deadly. Yes. And I yes. knew
1: that I was hated. I mm-hmm. knew that there were certain blocks in the city where I was like just every day I was in there, I was putting pressure on. Partly for the accolades of men.
2: I know. And and for the rush.
1: And for the rush. And because I liked it. No, like I, 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 I believe I I believed in what I was doing. I still believe in it. I you know that the, there's still guys that I know that are doing it. I talked talked to one just today. But yeah, I I would, I would, I remember, you know, you know, there were, there were times where I was working day work and I would, I would wake up and and I had to be at work real early. So it would be still dark when I left Mm -hmm. and I would open the door from our garage. I'd open it.
2: Mm -hmm. Let it breathe.
1: Let it breathe. Make sure I don't get any rounds coming because, you know, on my way home from work, I'd be making sure no one was following me, you know, things like that. And I don't think, I don't. People, People don't generally understand that, or they think that that's, you know, you're just overreacting. Mo- they think that's
0: movie stuff.
1: Or they think you're overreacting. Right.
0: Well, listen, there,
2: there were many nights when I would leave a bar on my bike. Same thing. I'm rolling down the road, man. Me and a couple bros,
0: we're rolling down the road, and, you know, we're looking to make sure no one's rolling up on us. We're looking. Yeah. Yeah. People don't understand living with that angst right like is today the day that I'm going to die you know and while you I mean I've literally thought that to myself when I was living in South Philly
2: there were days when I literally would get on my bike and like today may be maybe the
0: day I die Mm -hmm. because of of environmental because of circumstance you know because of the you know wars that were going on you right. know, Jersey, South Philly, you know, Is today, today I'm going to be rolling down, you know, Broad Street and someone's going to put a cap in me. Right. Literally blind me from the side. So I understand that psychologically how that can really mess with you. You know, where you're like, okay, but then again, you let it breathe and you just roll and you say, okay, we're good. But yeah, I remember looking in my mirrors all the time, man, yeah. all the time.
1: Yeah. It's quite the thing.
0: It is. I don't. I'm glad, um, I don't miss it.
1: I don't, dude. I don't miss <laughs> it either. And sometimes, and, and what's crazy is now sometimes. I mean, I'm only been retired a couple months, and there's times where I'm like, dude, I'm too lax. I'm too lax. Yeah. You know, I've I've let my guard down well, too too much.
0: I think you were hyper vigilant for a long time. Oh yeah. And uh, and I mean, I you know, I'm I'm pretty vigilant even today. I was hyper vigilant then had to be. Right. You, you just had to be it. But I'm pretty vigilant today still. I don't know that I'm lax. I mean, you know, you and I've joked already and I've rolled up one and I'm like, yo, you're losing your edge,
1: weave. <laughs> yeah. I will tell you, I there there are there have been a couple times. Um, well, I, I shouldn't even say a couple times. There's one time since I've retired where I felt that again. And I was talking to Lauren about it and um I don't, I don't miss it, and and it was, it was like I had some guys coming into the store, Mm -hmm. and they were like, I, I know they were casing the store based Mm -hmm. on the way the questions they were asking. They weren't interested in buying. Like, dude, this guy comes into the store, and he's like, "Hey, you guys sell clothes in here?" Dude, I got a (laughs) clothes rack right in front of you, and then he goes, "Um, "Hey, uh, you know, I'm looking for something." I'm going to Puerto Rico. I'm looking for something, and he just like motions to his whole body. The dude has no idea what he's looking for. Yeah. And then they're asking me what time I close and stuff. And uh, dude, I went. I went right. Back. I was like, "All right, all right. I'm about to get robbed here. You go guys down. have no idea who you're messing with." <laughs> you know, and, and but oh. but that feeling. That oh, feeling. Oh yeah, I had that feeling again, and um, I don't miss it. I, I it, yeah. it just, it, it takes, it, it took me, and I've only been out a couple months, but it took me back to oh. just how I operated on a regular basis.
0: Well, my, my wife could share stories with you. Right. Where we've been at, at bike events and mm-hmm. stuff, and we'll be walking hand in hand, and I'll just stop and turn around. You have a problem here? Yeah. Yeah, you just, you feel that presence. Right. You know, and even though I haven't been in that world for a long time yeah i don't miss that i i don't miss that feeling um you know of the hyper vigilance always having to look around be aware now you know i still live from being a marine and from living the life of live. i live with my head on a swivel right you know you know that yeah uh, i mean I you and i've just... rolled together long enough anthony to know that like i'm always constantly my head is on a swivel man i you know because you know what it's uh you know Understanding your surroundings and your environment is paramount. Right. Um, you know, I don't care where you are, whether you're at Park City Mall or wherever you are. And
1: I think anyone who's been in you know in the military in the military, and your lifestyle, in my lifestyle, they'd never fully lose that. No. Right. You
0: just don't. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, just quickly share, and I've shared this with you before my wife and I have a code. You know, when we're walking wherever we're walking. You know, if I, if something doesn't feel right around me and I tell her tuck in, she knows we're good. We're going to get through. If I tell her go, she will release her hand from me and she will run the other way because she knows. Like if I tell her go, that means it's going down. Like something not good is about to happen and you need to get as far away from me as you can. Right. And that's just, I mean, it's a code that I had in the Marine Corps. It's a code I still have today. You know, you just. I, but I don't miss that life, man. Right. I really don't. No. There was one thing that you did want to ask me and I know because you told me and I'm I'm just gonna go there with you.
1: Um the, the personal responsibility? Yeah, because oh, man. because I think Dive that is in.
0: that's a huge one. Go for it. No, you need to ask the question.
1: Well, you know Who's
0: hosting this show?
1: <laughs> Sometimes I wonder. Uh no you Obviously, I think you would have a great perspective on personal responsibility and its role in life of someone who's been sinned against in in grievous ways. So, you know, you you shared, you know, some of the horrific things you were you went through as a child. You've shared um, some of the things you went through at the hands of your dad, at the hands of your mom, at the hands of your sister, at the hands of your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Where one of my Issues with a lot of things going on in our country right now is this lack of self responsibility, mm. and 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 this idea that, and we've talked about this, that you know in Romans fourteen I think it is where it says you know one day you know we'll appear before God and, and we're going to have to answer, going to give um, an account, we got to give an account, and in that account we're not going to be a we're not going to be able to say well, this sin was committed against me, so therefore I have this excuse. Um, and, and you said it the best the other day when we had a conversation that the only thing we're going to be able to plead is the blood of Jesus. Amen. That's the only thing. Amen. Praise God. And um, so yeah, just your thoughts on personal responsibility as someone who lived a criminal lifestyle, who's come out of it, who sees some of the stuff going on in our culture Where do you stand? Well,
0: I mean, first of all, let's just say, you know, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you know, retribution, retaliation, and all those things are sins. Right. Um, No matter what's been done to me, I mean, Jesus said, "If, if you give him, what? You give him your rope, give him your cloak as well. If he strikes you on the right, give him the left. Right? So... Uh, He was a model for us, and so any type of of retribution, retaliation, or recompense for things that have been done to me in my life, whether as a child, as an adult, or whatever, are sin. That's just the bottom line. The Lord has commanded us in his scriptures that that's not okay. Um, As far as personal responsibility goes, listen, the things that happened to me, I would not wish on anybody. All right. Um I spent a lot of years, hard years of my life, man, trying to I don't know if, if the word is is not make up, but you know, kinda like guard myself, but also like pay back society. How could how could this kind of crap happen to me? How could you know, listen, I, I I mean, and I'll quickly share a story. My firstborn daughter died at six months old of crib death. We never got into my A wall time in the Marine Corps. Yeah. But it's okay. I knew nothing about God, about Jesus, about church. And I'll never forget, I stood down in the middle of South Prince Street at the corner of Prince and Farnham. My daughter died of crib death. I found her in the crib. I freaked out. I wouldn't let anybody touch her. And, and now you have to understand, man, I have no concept of, like, Jesus, none of that. And I remember standing in the middle of South Prince Street and looking up at the sky and screaming. And I've written my life story out multiple times over the course of 30 years. And every time I get there, man, I am always just, just stunned, like... I remember looking up at the sky and just screaming with my fist clenched. I mean, at the top of my lungs, blood curling, just, what kind of God are you? What kind of God are you that you would take my child? I'll never serve you.
3: Hmm.
2: I have no idea where that thought ever even came from, but from God. Right. Because the next 10
0: years of my life, I spent in and out of prison, riding clubs, you know, the, the craziness, you know? And so you know, I I you know, and I'm not. I have to be careful how I say that. You know, I think that God was saying, you know, you're gonna serve me. You're gonna serve me one day, right? Right. But um, yeah. Let's let you have a little bit of your own life that you can uh, figure out what it is why you're gonna come serve me. Um. But anyway, you know, I think that you know those things that happened to me. They didn't cause me to do what I did. Okay, they may have influenced me. They may have caused me to be guarded. I told you, no man was going to get close enough to hurt me, you know, because that was cause for a beatdown. Women were worthless; they just were objects. But you know, at the end of the day, while that may have influenced me being on the streets early and everything else, I ultimately chose to do the things that I did. Um, I remember when I was in college, there was a whole so. Uh, sociology study we did and it was about a kid in in uh new york who grew up in an abusive home and grew up you know watched his father beat his sisters and beat his mother and you know physically you know molest them and rape them and all these things and uh he went out and uh he raped a woman and he got charged and he claimed the defense was is that the environment he grew up in all he ever saw was a man rape his sisters and his mother and beat them. And so to
2: him, that was a norm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But the kid was in junior high school. H- how
0: do you reconcile that? He had to know that other people did not live like that. you know. And so he made a choice. Right. And it's just like with me. I mean, I made a choice. So you know, personal responsibility is something in in this culture today that lacks horrendously. Uh, it, we live in a uh, blame shifting society and culture. Nothing is my fault. It's because my dad did this. Because my mom was a crack addict. Because my uncle molested me. Because whatever. I mean, I could use all those excuses, Anthony. Yeah. In my life. And you know what? At the end of the day. I made a choice to live the lifestyle I did. Now, did those things influence me? Certainly. Did they cause me? Causation is a whole different story. No, they didn't. You know, there were other ways that I could have dealt with those things—the abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse—you know, the emotional—you know—abuse. I, I could have dealt with those in other ways, and there were opportunities throughout my high, junior high, and high school opportunities for me to choose to deal with them in a different way. But I chose to have a hardened heart that, you know, it was me against the world. Everything sucked. Excuse my language. Like, everything happened to me. And so now I'm going to get my pound of flesh, Right. you know, kind of thing. But no, at the end of the day, I did what I did because I chose to do those things. You know, and I used to tell my kids, you make a choice, you reap a consequence. You know, and our society has caused that word, consequence, to be a negative. But it's not. If you look at it, in the the present tense, that word is a neutral word. Because a consequence can be positive or negative. But our culture makes it a negative. You know, you can choose, make a choice, reap a consequence. Sometimes positive, sometimes negative. Sometimes you never know the consequence that you will reap from a choice. It can be very latent. You know, and so, yeah personal responsibility is something that that our society really ruse it does yeah i mean you think about it like you know nobody has to be responsible for anything i'm not responsible you know if i shoot somebody i'm not responsible if i sell drugs i'm not responsible if i rob you you know it's always somebody else's fault well you know that's just a pile of crap right you know, I mean,
1: you, you see it every day in the news. Someone makes a decision to commit a sin, commit an evil act, and it's someone else's fault, and, or and some some condition. It's it's a condition, or it's someone else's fault, or it's because we don't have this law, or we need to do this, or who who dropped the ball with this, or we need to be more empathetic. Yeah, like them. there's no there's no um, the, yeah the blame shifting. It we always need to hold someone responsible. And a lot of times, the the people or the things that we're holding responsible is not the person themselves.
0: Oh well, I think it really comes down to morals and ethics, and I think that we use those words synonymously, and they are very two different, very th- different things. The mores or morals of a way, you know, it's statistical, right? If fifty one percent of the population is doing it, it must be a norm, a, a moral, a more or a norm right but you know the difference is is that morals and mores are what is and ethics is what ought to be and so the ethical thing in our society is, is that what ought to be is that there should be you know justness and and punishment and accountability but the morals and the mores of of our culture say well 51% of the people have an excuse and blame everybody, and so that's the norm. It's a little linguistic twist. Right. Wow, I almost sound educated, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, there's, there's just like, you know, we have lost ethics, right? There is no, no ethical, you know, there's really no ethical mooring anymore in our culture. And so everything is based on feelings and, and, you know, well, statistical, you know, 51%, you know, all that. It's just crazy, man. You know, we've gotten so far away from, from having those kind of boundaries. We just have. Right. And it's really sad, man. It's really, really sad. I mean, you know, I think about, you know, the millennial or generation X, Y, Z, millennials. No clue.
2: Like... Dude, when I was growing up, you were 10 blocks from your house and you acted out. Somebody else's parent was
0: going to snatch you up and probably whoop your butt and take you home. And then you were going to get another whooping butt whooping when you got home. And then when your old man got home, you get another
1: one, right? You can't do that today. Are you kidding me? You'd be sued. Right. Oh, I can't tell you how many times I would have a parent call me and, uh, you know, or, or a kid would call me and say my my uh, parent uh smacked me, and I'd get the call, and I'd be like, "This kid called the wrong cop <laughs> and I'd get there and well, what you he, do and here's right? the thing here's the thing like you you have to go to those calls and you, and you have to listen to both sides yes but I always went uh with a certain level of respect and for the, for the parent. Absolutely. And, and I would go in and that, you know, the kid would be like, you know, my, my mom hit me in the face. Um, and the, and, and sometimes the parents would be concerned. Well, what did you, why did your mom hit you in the face? Oh, I, I called her, mm-hmm. called her a B. Okay. Should've got your face slapped. Well, all right. I'll see you later. Right, Like, uh, you know, and, and parents would ask me, you know, um, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, I I don't th- I can't lay my hands on them. Really? You can't lay your hands on your on your own child? Oh. No, no, I, it's against the law. Actually, no, it's not against the law. Now, you can't take it. I would all, this, this is what I would always say. You can't take a baseball bat and hit them with it. But if, if they talk back to you and you decide that your punishment is to um, slap them, and again, I, you know, you, can have, dis- you can have a discussion about what's how, appropriate. How old, you know, when does it become inappropriate? How old, like that sort of thing. But I would always go in those situations, giving the benefit of the doubt to the to the parent, um, because we we would have parents calling the or we would have kids calling the police, wanting their parents arrested for using corporal punishment on them. Uh, I'm now sorry, you know. Well,
0: and it's unfortunate because, yeah, probably in the last 20 years, most children have no idea what it means right. to be disciplined. There's a difference between punishment and discipline. Yeah. All right. Punishment is punitive, right? Discipline seeks to a changed behavior. People don't understand that. They use those words interchangeably punishment and discipline punishment is punitive there is no no outcome of change behavior it's purely to punish somebody whereas disciplining a child is to bring about a correction in behavior see i have my counselor hat yeah. on again sorry well
1: no i i i uh i appreciate that i think um i think the other thing that we do like I like how you broke down those two words and defined them because that's another problem in our culture. We don't define everything, or or we redefine. We've redefined what racism is. We've re- redefined what love is. We we've, we've redefined a lot of things. But but I like how you how you broke that down. And I think the other part of the the puzzle is, is that we've decided that you can't have discipline and also provide um, help or mm-hmm. training. Like you, like I dealt with this when I was a supervisor. I had people above me that be like, you know, you're, I think you're being too hard on that officer who, (laughs) you know, did something they shouldn't have, shouldn't have done. I think maybe we need to look more at helping them or getting them to a training or, you know, providing a certain assistance to them uh, because of things that they're going through uh, in their life. And, and, and I would say, okay, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with that, mm-hmm. but you still need the discipline side right. of it. There needs to be it, a consequence. It needs to work in conjunction. If you never have a consequence, if you only ever help people with your diversion programs, you are going to continue to have the problem because there was no consequence for the action. Um, you know, it. It, it needs to be in, in conjunction. If, if, I, if, if my son or my daughter do something that I don't want them to do, and I just constantly pull them in and say, this is why we shouldn't do this. Um, Daddy's going to create a program for you to go through so that you don't do it again. Do you think that kid's going to stop doing it without a consequence? No, that's why, you know sometimes it's a natural consequence oh you know you didn't we told you you could play one game on your tablet you decided not to play one game you decided to go into the second game well guess what you don't get the tablet for the rest of the week exactly a natural consequence or or you know i gave you a directive and you didn't do it it was like outright disobedience now you're going to get a spanking um,
0: which is a discipline.
1: Which is a discipline right to correct to behavior. To
0: bring about a change in behavior.
1: And and then and then after that, and Lauren helped me learn this. She's Same like after you, you, after you do that, you need to make sure that you are pulling them in, giving them a hug, telling them that you love them, and then and and for us, speaking to them about sin. Yep. Sharing the gospel with them, talking to them about the condition of their heart. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and having those conversations with, with them, it's, it's not just one and it's not just the other. So, well, it's kind of, it's kind
0: of like, you know, when you talk about, you know, being real, you know, and I'm going to say in the Christian world, it's, uh, you know, truth without love is brutality. Right. And love without truth is hypocrisy it's in that same kind of genre, you know, that same kind of metaphor. I mean, you can't speak truth to somebody without loving them or having a heart of love, right? Because that's just brutality. All you're doing is beating them down. Right. And you can't just, I like to call it sloppy agape, you know? <laughs> you can't just be love, 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 and no, right? right? And no truth behind it. Right. Because that's hypocrisy. That's not the God we serve, and that's not what the scriptures say. And so, you know, our whole society is just so off-kilter and off-skew in a whole lot of realms in that way. You know, I mean, you know, Lord forbid that you would ever chastise somebody else's kid in your neighborhood for their behavior. I mean, I can't even fathom that, man. Like, when I was a kid, dude, You listen, I remember Miss T... Miss T McFadden, man, she snatched me up. Boy, I was acting out. Snatched me up, boy. I'm take you home to your mom. I get home, my mom would give me a couple of smacks, and then my dad would get home, and then like you, your dad gets home, like you're done, right?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Because you know what? You were going to be held accountable for your behavior. Yeah. And you were.
2: I mean, the way that I see children speak to their parents today, oh. No, there's just a general.
0: In our culture, you can't have a civil discourse, right? And so, because our culture is that way, you know, where do you think that starts? It starts in the home. Yeah, you can't. You, I mean, you can't have a civil discourse in a home with a parent and a kid. I mean, the, just because of our culture, our culture has said, you don't have to listen to your parents, or you can say whatever you want to your parents. Well, that's not a civil discourse, right? Like, you know, you can agree to disagree as a parent and a child, but you don't get to just go all over the place and be like calling them names. And it's just crazy. It's such an indication of what's happening in our culture and in our society and it's really sad it is very very sad it's it's it it's disheartening to me to see i mean i look at my own kids who are grown and i have grandkids now and, and you know my wife and i are like
3: wow right. really
0: really because you know i'm thinking like you know there would have been to assume the position <laughs>
1: <laughs> right
0: yeah you know like you you're getting three for that one yeah you know yeah. Anyway,
1: I, I uh, you know, I like the point you made about the love, truth thing. I think, I think, um, I recently heard a pastor uh, talk about that, and it was kind of convicting to me because I think generally some of us can be like, oh, I'm more of a love person, or I'm more of a, a justice person, or a truth person, and we say that in a way that kind of leaves us off the hook. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is my bent. I'm more this way. Wrong. But. Yeah, he, he Jesus was, was truthful and loving, right? And he points out uh, 1 Corinthians thirteen where it says, "Absolutely, uh, love rejoices in the truth." Like mm-hmm. they, they cannot be separated, separated. right? Um, and that was a little convicting to me because I am, and as you are, uh, we don't. Re- uh, th- this episode probably doesn't have enough balance on it because we're both like very justice oriented. <laughs> but I think, um, I think that's where the hope of the gospel, mm-hmm. the love of Christ um, comes into the conversation for me because uh, without him, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know where I'd be. I don't know where you'd be. Uh, no, I, we might not even be here, to be honest.
0: I, I'm going to just say to you, you know, when I, when, I, um, when I filled out all my paperwork and wrote out my story for uh, application for clemency, it's one of the things that i put in there literally you know without christ in my
2: life i literally would probably be dead today right um uh yeah
1: yeah i i i look back too and i you can just look back and you can see the faithfulness of the lord in your life and i i yeah i don't i i don't know where i'd be without him there, there were some really dark times in my life, even as a believer, mm-hmm. you know, times where Lauren, you know, had to confront me about, you know, things like, dude.
2: Like you're in your head.
1: You're in your head. Like, you're drinking too much.
2: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: you know, I, I had moments in my career where I, every day, I deserve this. Every day I was off, man, I'd be drinking. And it was, it was because I didn't even want to... I didn't even want to put the effort in to try to be present and love my family. That's hard it stuff, man. That's hard stuff. It was easier for me to drink and just wallow in, in that mm-hmm. than, than try to work and be present. Well, and
0: I mean, even, even when, I, when I relapsed and everything, it was, you know, my wife and I just talked about this the other day. She said, "Do you know how many days and nights I sat at my parents' window looking down
2: the lane to see if you're if you were coming back because I didn't want to deal with the um <laughs> yeah, I just didn't want to deal with it, you know the whole
0: uh emotional you know." Intimacy thing. Yeah, I just didn't want to deal with it. It was easier for me to say, uh, you know, I'm gonna go get a pack of cigarettes and I'll be back, and then I'd be gone for three, four, five days. Right. You know, because I didn't want to deal with the intimacy. I didn't understand intimacy. I didn't understand how to manage my emotions. Right. I didn't want to deal with them. I, I just like you know, I was just like, I'm settling, Snoopy. I'm yeah. checked out. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's unfortunate.
1: It is unfortunate I
0: because it it, it it really is unhealthy for the relationship, and then really, when you talk about trust, like what does that do for our spouses when
2: we're not even willing to be engaged?
1: You know? yeah. well, you and I have both married some very strong women I mean've <laughs> I've had some dates dates out with Lauren that have not been very date-like they've been more like listen dude you better get your stuff together an
0: exhortation
1: and because listen this ain't not happening this ain't happening those are tough conversations but yes um
0: well, i really all, we've been all over the road we've tonight, been all man. over but
1: <laughs> i i can't uh, i i can't thank you enough for for uh coming on and and uh, telling some of your story, I mean, I don't, I feel like we've just scratched the surface. There's so much there. So maybe I'll just have to have you back on and dive into it a little uh, more. You, because You might be
0: able to twist my arm.
1: Because <laughs> I think you had fun with it. Yeah. You know? I was
0: actually scared.
1: I think you... Uh, I was actually,
0: I had a little fear and trepidation. You know? I, was, I said to my wife, I said, you know, baby, pray, pray for me. I actually had my best friend who lives on the property with us, you know, he thought it was earlier today and he sent me a text. He's like, I was praying for you today. How did guys "No, it's tonight? Oh, I'm going to keep praying. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I feel like most, most, uh, most guys that I have come on, there's that, that certain level of, of, uh, eh, just angst about it. Uh, and I try to, uh, I, I don't know. There's angst on my end, too, because sure. I don't really... You never know where you're going to end up. You never know where you're going to end up. And you also, you know, I, I always tell people, too, like, listen, you're coming on. You, all you have to worry about is just talking. It's mm-hmm. on me to drive the conversation mm-hmm. and, like, direct it and ask questions that are interesting. Um, and then mm-hmm. I, I, I hit send on an email like that. And I'm like, oh, I, I, guess I, I guess I better hold up my end of the bargain here.
0: Except when you get guys like me who put right. questions back on you.
1: But that, that's good. Oh yeah, that's good. So maybe that see, was
0: that was at my wife's suggestion anyway.
1: Throw questions back. at Yeah, me.
0: she's like, well, oh, you know, yeah. he's going to ask you why. Well, then you can say, well, what do you think?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, there's certain there's certain guys I have on that I'm, I feel like should be my co-hosts moving forward. So <laughs> low, low is one of them. You're another one. So maybe, maybe to this all said and done, we'll have you. Low myself, and then we'll have a, that poor sap of a guest. Oh my <laughs> word!
0: Just getting housed. You'll have to start paying people to come on then. <laughs> I mean, it was nice of you to send the executive coach to come get me from out in the woods. <laughs> uh, I appreciated that. Right? Yeah. Right. No, it was nice, man. Yeah. Was, you know, limo was was pretty good. I he had uh, a booming stereo.
1: Right. <laughs> I. I'm a. You know. I'm. There's people out there. that must think I. I just. I just have copious amounts of money and i was dude you did
0: well with your investments right you really did (laughs) that cryptocurrency you've been playing with man is you know thanks
1: for the tip (laughs) i don't know anything about cryptocurrency or bitcoin or nothing i should probably learn something about it Uh,
0: Uh, we can talk after the show
1: yeah okay all right well thanks for coming on i appreciate you coming on i know that some of the things you talked about were uh they're not the easiest to talk about. No. Whenever you and I get together, there's always some emotion. Yep. Um which is which is cuz
0: we keep it 100% man, real.
1: <laughs> that's true. No, that's true. I mean, I mean that. So,
0: you know, that's how I lived my life, you, you know, and that's how you lived your life, and that's how we continue to live our lives for the Lord. Right. You know, it's a I mean, you know, I I see how I'm going to say this. You know, I've said this to you before. Extremes are our enemy, right? Right. Because extremes, when you're one extreme or the other, have a tendency to polarize, right? But you can be unified 100%, which is a good thing, right? And uh, so I don't know that being 100% committed to serving the Lord is uh, is an extreme. I think that it's a reasonable sacrifice for us, given what he's done for us, Um And so, you know, I try to live my... I fall short every day, but, you know, I'm grateful for the grace of God. I'm grateful that the Lord has put people like you in my life. Um, You know, it's been a blessing, uh, and I look forward to a lot more conversations over wings. We haven't gone for a while. Yeah. It's due. It
1: is due. (laughs) It is due.
0: So... Uh it's been a it's been a pleasure, man, and a privilege. And I just hope, you know, I, I'll say this uh in in closing. Um really if there's anybody out there who, you know, is encouraged or exhorted by you know, my testimony, the parts that you've heard, um I, I'm gonna be uh so candid and open as to say that if you really uh that you would like to talk with me, you can reach out to Anthony, and I will let him vet uh, those individuals, Uh, but I'm willing. I think that it's a reasonable thing to do. I'm sure that there are going to be people that listen to this, uh, both from law enforcement and others. Um, And so, you know, listen, uh, you know, God has delivered me from the things he's delivered me from because of what his son did for me on the cross of Calvary, uh, so that I might be able to then help others you know, in, a, in, in their struggles or questions or whatever, but ultimately, you know, the, the end goal is really that God is glorified and that people understand that the only reason that I'm sitting here today and able to even have this conversation is because of Jesus Christ. Amen. And because of what he's, what he's done for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And Romans 10.9 is clear, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised from the dead, you will be saved uh it's a matter of bending your knee, confessing, believing mm-hmm. and uh yeah, i would echo i would echo what uh Al has said here, and I would say that you know you can reach out to me at diakonosacc at gmail dot com and uh you know also look at my facebook page for of cops calling, reach out to me on messenger there uh be more than happy to talk to you about my faith about al's faith uh obviously as you've heard throughout this conversation it's the most in uh important thing in our in our lives and uh what has it's kind of the glue that that brought us together and and even that i can call him a friend so Mm -hmm.
0: all right uh we're more than friends brothers we're brothers yeah
1: so appreciate you coming on thank you so much it's been a privilege thank you very much I hope you enjoyed this conversation that I had with Al over the last two episodes. Uh, it's a powerful story. It's a riveting story. Uh, he's a great friend of mine, a brother in Christ, and I thank you for for tuning in and listening to his story or a very small part of his story. Uh, like I said during the episode, I really feel like I could probably have him on for about ten episodes uh, to uh, hear just more details about his story, and who knows, maybe in the future. Uh, he will agree to come on and tell more of his story. Before I end this episode, I did want to just touch on something that's just kind of been on my heart and mind uh, recently. If you follow the Diakonos Cops Calling Facebook page, you saw a post that I put up there um, where I shared a blog post from a gentleman named Samuel Say and his blog Slow to Write and the uh, The blog article that he had wrote was called The Injustice Against Derek Chauvin. So the title obviously grabs your attention, but in that article, Mr. Say uh, lays out his thoughts that Officer Chauvin wasn't in fact guilty of unintentional or intentional murder and that an earlier article he had written uh, just after the incident with George Floyd had occurred was possibly biased because he didn't know all the facts of the case. Uh, Mr. Say provade, provides links and resources in this article to back up his thoughts. Uh, I've stated my thoughts on the verdict and the position I hold, uh, but I shared this article to present just another viewpoint and a viewpoint that I think is, is lacking in our culture. And uh, I appreciate Mr. Say a lot because he shows a deference to law enforcement. And what is deference? Well, it's to show humble submission uh, and respect. Deference isn't blind faith in or an inability to call out wrong is just a level of humble submission and respect to a position or person often those in authority we generally don't do that anymore or at least not to the correct people right now our culture is clamoring over themselves to give deference to lawbreakers at least that's how it often feels to me and oftentimes these lawbreakers people are showing them humble submission and respect Uh, to believe the best in them and believe the worst in the actual authority that deserves the deference. I actually touched on that in uh, this episode with Al, how this is affecting the family unit, where the parents are not viewed as the leaders or authorities deserving deference in their own homes, but instead the children run the show and do as they please and are given power. As a police officer, I always went into family situations involving parents and children. With Ephesians 6, 1-3 to, th- 1 to 3 ringing in my ears. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Authority is laid out in this passage. The parents are deserving of honor and obedience, not the child. It is. It didn't mean that I went into these situations, or that I was going to ignore and not investigate the complaint of the child. In fact, there were times when I arrested parents uh, when certain facts and evidence was presented to me. But I never went into those situations giving deference to the child or the children. I always tried to go into those situations giving a level of respect to the parents' position because they deserved it, and because of my biblical worldview, they had that authority. They held a level of authority in that house. I also always did my best if the parent needed some guidance or help uh, or direction to give that privately and not in front of the child. Again, to do so would have given power and leverage to the child as they overheard any correction or advice that I gave their parents. The parent deserved that level of respect from me and the child needed to see that he or she was not in charge. In the same way, I believe it's biblical to give that level of deference to the police. I've talked often about Romans 13 and how those in authority are established by God, and that includes the police. In addition, 1 Peter 2 13 through 15 says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. I don't see much of that going on in our culture. What I see is people starting at a hypothesis that the police use too much force, or are systemically racist, or are evil, or need to be abolished, or that they act unrighteously, etc., and then they begin to make their case to prove that hypothesis. And this hypothesis is usually based on feelings and emotions without any deference uh, owed, them, owed the police due to their position. In these interactions, we often give deference to criminals. We show them a level of submission and respect and propel them to a level of authority. We don't wait for the investigation to conclude. We don't wait to know all the facts. Some don't even care what the facts are. We are so arrogant to believe that we know better than the police do. We don't know anything about their training, but we know it's not right. We don't know anything about who they are, their ethics, beliefs, or background, but we arrogantly decide that we know exactly what their motives were or are. Like spoiled children, we know better and we will throw a tantrum about it. No deference, only defiance and disrespect. No patience or prayer, but pandering to the criminal. No thoughtful consideration for the actual victims of crime, but constant capitulation to people who hurt others and defy the law. This should be expected from a fallen world, but not from us as believers. I think it's the one thing that's really disheartened me over the past few years. Christians uh, and Christian leaders who have decided that submission to the police is optional and who actually work to discredit what they do, not realizing that they are actually opposing God Almighty. That's not my opinion. That's what Romans 13, 2 says. And if an officer moves from law enforcer to lawbreaker, well then he she has removed that mantle of authority and should face consequences for their actions. But I just wish more Christians would be more like my friend, Samuel say. Showing deference to those established by God and being slow to speak, slow to write, and slow to anger against those that stand in the gap for us. I, for one, appreciate and show deference to the police. I don't appreciate them because they're perfect. I show them deference because I'm commanded to as a believer. I appreciate them because they do things and confront things I no longer do. I show them deference because I know what it's like for people to decide what I did was wrong without knowing all the facts. I show them deference because I know what it's like to be accused of things I didn't do or haven't done. I show them deference because I know what it's like to be in a fight on a street alone and not sure what's coming next. I show them deference because I know what it's like to confront someone with a knife. I show them deference because I know. What it's like to be spit on and punched and kicked. I show the deference because I know what it's like to be on the wrong end of a gun, ready to eat some bullets in pursuit of justice. I show them deference because I know what it's like to get a couple hours of sleep between shifts due to family life and court and training. I show them deference because I know they help people every single day when no one is looking and no accolades are received. I show them deference because they are an authority in my life to bring praise to those who do right and bring punishment against those who do wrong. I show them deference because they kick up the dust in pursuit of the lawbreaker, some of which are bent on committing unspeakable violence against other people. If you are one of those that shows deference towards the police, I appreciate you very much, and so do they. If you are in law enforcement, Do your job well, do it the right way, kicking up dust in pursuit of the lawbreaker.